0: Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now this will be the fourth ball for I've ever been.
1: Cooper puts it in with his way Well, suddenly it's become a rout.
2: Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart.
3: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the AFC Here We Go podcast uh, My name is Martin Clunas, I'll be your host this week We have got uh, another packed show to discuss, we've got two games to review um, And we've got some Friday night football to look forward to as well Well, we've got a bit of a change in the podcast this week last one, The last one, um, I was incredibly hungover, Richard had no voice Hopefully we're a bit better, I know I don't have a hangover today Richard, how's the voice doing? Hopefully it should hold up a little bit better, yeah Let's hope so um, we 'd also like to welcome back uh, it 's been a while, but one of the originals uh, Grant fiskin is back on the show. How are you doing grant all good thanks martin all good delighted to delight to have you back on grant it 's been a while
0: yeah, It has the first one of the uh, of the new rebrand i think i believe where have you been <laughs> good question good question and our final
3: guest from this for this week is um Red, the Red Finals very own Martin Ingram um, delighted to have you on Martin. for your podcast debut.
1: Thank you. I'm delighted to be on. Um, and on the subject of rebrands in the, the words of the new Doctor Who, it's about time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to mix things up a little bit first. Um, as we record this on a Sunday night, we're going to discuss the game that happened earlier on today. We will we will talk about Ham- the Hamilton game um, a little bit later in the show. Well, it's a hot, it's a hot topic. A lot of talking points in today's game, uh, Richard. I'll come to you first. Um, the only change was um, Scott Wright went out for Dominic Ball. In your opinion, do you think that was the correct decision? I mean, the win that we will discuss later against Hamilton. I mean, it was. I suppose it was only Hamilton, but on this show and across social media and across a lot of people you talk to, there is a lot of previous talk about why the Aberdeen changed the team possibly to suit the opponents.
2: Well, listen, I can understand why a more defensive midfielder, was brought in to that team. Uh, firstly, obviously, you're, up against, you're taking it up a couple of steps from the challenge of facing Hamilton at home against a commanding team that are, have been good at home, have been good generally, had been well ahead of us in the league. So I can, I can understand stiffening it up to a degree. And there were certainly points on Wednesday night against Hamilton where they were able to get a fair bit of joy. They were able to open us up and find a fair bit of space in our half. So again, I can understand the temptation to bring in a more defensive-minded player. And I think the idea of anyway wasn't necessarily to have him in an out-and-out defensive position. It's more about having that defensive midfielder in that allows the shape to change from when we have the ball to when we don't have the ball. Uh, it's what Ryan Jack used to do expertly for us. He allowed us to change from a 5-4-1 without the ball to essentially a 3-4-3 three, three, or a 3-3-4 three, three, even at times with the ball. Jack would just pivot in between the centre half, centre half would split and you'd have that ability to create space and, and move forward with the ball. And when it works, it works very well. But unfortunately, it's not really working at the moment with Don Ball playing that position. We've given Don Ball some credit playing in that defensive midfield role before. But he's very much a destroyer. He's there to stop other teams playing. He's been at his best when he was given a man marking job to do on Louis Moult at Motherwell. And um, he was able to work in tandem with the centre halves and reduce their challenge and just make sure that uh, the opposition's efforts are being destroyed. But in an attacking sense, and when it comes to our creativity, I don't think Don Ball's good enough to do that. I think positionally he struggled today. J.J. Bull on Twitter, a couple of really insightful posts from him showing that very often instead of actually falling back deep enough and letting the centre-half split, he's, he's just not coming back far enough and he's not taking control and he doesn't have that ability or quality on the ball which makes him comfortable enough to do that. So you know other options, as obviously was happening in midweek, is Lewis Ferguson to play that role. And um, I, I kind of think that maybe blunts what Lewis can do slightly further up the pitch. Scott Wright did a lot right on Wednesday night. I thought, I thought Scott, in fairness, had a very poor game at Hamden, but he was far from unique in that regard. I can understand why he was dropped, but I just don't know if Don Ball's quite the man to do the job that McInnes once done in that role.
3: We started off very poorly And we'll, I mean, we'll come to that a little bit later The, the, Kilmarnock, the Kilmarnock goal Comes from a penalty Martin, I want to ask you, you know, Firstly, what is Shea Logan's That you think he's thinking in that situation uh, ball's heading, the, the football's heading away from the goal It's going along the line It's probably going out, to be fair um, He doesn't need to do anything there It's, it's kind of brainless, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's very brainless I think part of Shea's thinking At the beginning of the, If you go back to the start of the move um, he's slightly been caught Perhaps a bit too far forward and when, when Kilmarnock got possession, the Which has allowed Jordan Jones to get a run Pretty much unimpeded In towards the box And The frustrating thing about it is that As a team we would actually done really well to recover The position, Joe Lewis makes a really Really good save from Stephen O'Donnell um, And he did really well to actually Get enough of a hand on it to push it Past the post because that was my big fear at the time, was that he was just going to push it right in front of the net and somebody was going to be able to get a tap in. But we'd, we'd, we'd done the hard work. We'd got players back. Chris Burke is going absolutely nowhere. And it's one of those ones where you see it so often. Um, I think she's just felt he's... What, what, why he's felt he's what to do it, I don't know. But he's just left his right leg in. And you know a player like Chris Burke... Or indeed, you know, many other forwards. Um, If you get the opportunity to effectively run into someone's leg and and go down, then they'll take that opportunity. Those kind of ones are frustrating for two reasons. Because one, you know the player's going nowhere. There's no danger at that moment. But also, you know it's ones that... Referees are often in a very bad position to be able to give And I think that was the case with with that The the referee just sees is just going to see the back of Shea Logan He may have seen or at least maybe heard at that range contact And then at that point you give the referee a decision I think it's a very, very, very soft penalty But how often does that happen Where if the referee sees a leg stuck out And it makes contact, they give the penalty
2: I know opinions are going to be splitting this I don't think there can be too much doubt that that was a penalty kick, to be perfectly honest. And uh, neither does the manager, if you listen to him post-match. I mean, he's... Rightly critical of uh, Shea Logan there, I mean he's rightly critical of the whole team in that first half, and he, he he claimed that that challenge summed up the first half, and in many ways he's right because it was lazy and tired and just just hang that leg out, not be decisive in what you're trying to do, and just allow uh, Chris Burke the opportunity to go over, um, you know whether he he played for it or not. I mean obviously Kamarick all afternoon needed very little invitation to do that, but it's kind of what you expect an attacking player to do. It's what I'd expect my attacking players to do in that situation if the opposition defender is stupid enough to give you that opportunity.
3: And of course, you no. Know, Chris Boyd slots the penalty away. Grant, on a scale of one to ten, one being Barry Ferguson and ten being Lewis Ferguson, how much are you looking forward to reading Boydy's pushy newspaper column this weekend?
0: <sighs> I mean. <sighs> I don't really care about Chris Boyd. I mean, he can, he, can do, he can do what he wants, really. That's why he's got that columnist, to spout nonsense and to get be controversial. That's why they use him. I, I would find it very strange if I was a Kilmarnock teammate, or even the manager. I'm surprised he keeps letting him do this kind of thing while he's still playing for them. But the Boyd thing is one of the things that really frustrated me about how we set up. I mean, Kilmarnock, two of the most important attacking players are Brophy and Stewart. And this is the Dundee Greg Stewart Not the Aberdeen Greg Stewart As we seem to have found out the past couple of weeks Boyd hadn't started a league game since August Why did we need a defensive midfielder like Don Ball in there? The the amount of times that Boyd got caught offside in the first half Just shows just how We know how not mobile he is anymore But just how badly he was They have Jordan Jones, he's a danger Burke's obviously not the player he used to be Just if we'd had our full backs tight Or centre backs tight Cut the supply to Burke and Jones, and then Boyd would not be able to do anything. It was funny you mentioned earlier about picking the team with the other a position in mind. I think we're just picking the team as in against the top six teams. We seem to have a completely different attitude when we play Hamilton, St Mirren, Motherwell, etc. As we do in the rest of the league, and it's it's. I think McInnes has actually gone from being cautious to just playing negative. Um, I, the first half today I think just summed up our entire Season, we've been Absolutely dreadful to watch this season Aside from Lewis Ferguson who's, who's had some great Moments, aside from Gary mckay Stephen, when he's on The ball, I, I genuinely Don't understand what he's trying to do And his interview with McInnes after the Game today, he said that, he said If I was a scout watching this game I wouldn't know what Aberdeen were trying to do I think it's quite an alarming thing Coming from him as you normally see a team play tactics and normally they have it playing it to their own strengths their player strengths the the way we're playing at the moment I don't see which of our players that is suiting at all not one you have a performance like James Wilson who that shot he had in the second half where he put it out for (laughs) a throw in I think that just summed up the complete frustration the ball was getting nowhere near him and I don't think our performance yet today was much different from last Sunday against Rangers and again again, we've been bailed out by Lewis Ferguson and what worries me is that the past week these two victories are just piping over some ever-growing cracks and maybe it's just our our run of luck against Kilmarnock I mean that was the first time we'd scored more than once in an away game since the last time we were at Rugby Park so maybe it's just we like the plastic turf after all you never know but I, I, I just really don't see where we're going with these tactics at all
2: Suggesting that it's papering over the cracks suggests that everyone's entirely happy with how we're doing. And we're not happy with it. Nobody of an Aberdeen persuasion who watched it would be that happy. We're delighted to get the three points, obviously. As you rightly referenced, the manager wasn't happy with that first half. A, a bit alarmed to say, to hear him say, obviously, that the second half was much more like it. From an I mean, it was better than the first half, but it still wasn't particularly good, uh, that second half performance. Pippering over the cracks is is a little bit harsh because that would suggest that everyone is fine and dandy with how things are going. We're not. There's a long way to go. But two big wins this week on the back of, yeah, two very poor performances. But it also shows how uh, the bar has been raised over the last couple of years as well.
0: Uh, I wasn't implying that everything was fine. But the difference between that Lewis Ferguson header giving us the victory and if we hadn't won... If we hadn't won that game the way we played against that poor Rangers side with the players they had missing, I think the knives the would have been fairly out for McInnes. Now we've kind of got a little bit of a grace period because there's a cup final to come up to. And then a crazy, crazy busy December. I was thinking it's what 9 games we're up to now because of all these uh, league games getting shifted in. It's partly the fact that we played pretty much exactly the way today as we did in Rangers. as if we learned nothing. The one thing that I was interested in, the thing you were mentioning about the dom ball not coming back to get the ball, is that because they've been told not to do that? Is that because we're wanting to hit the ball long and just play off the scraps?
2: I think it's partly his, partly just his lack of positional sense and fairness. Um, it, it's very difficult to make a comparison with the, with the match situation on Wednesday, obviously, but Lewis Ferguson was much better at doing that. His centre-halves were much better at properly splitting, his full-backs were then getting further up the pitch, whereas obviously if your centre-halves and defensive midfielder look like they're in trouble a little bit on the ball, then your full-backs aren't going to push up far enough up the pitch. It doesn't give the space to your other centre midfielders. Having that pivot working correctly is really important, but it's maybe not a fair comparison to make with what was obviously a pretty straightforward win on Wednesday when we're a couple of goals to the good after 22 minutes. I I think Dominic Ball has his uses in that role, but not if you want to try and be creative on the ball because he's he's simply not good enough on the ball. And I do wonder if maybe Gleeson was originally earmarked for that role, but has, has had trouble obviously getting himself up to speed. Just like obviously Chris Forrester was earmarked for that number 10 role.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly it. The Gleason and Forrester were obviously earmarked for these roles. And one quite alarming thing is how Greg Tanzi's name keeps, in the past month or so, his progress. I thought he was a complete, he was just completely out of the picture, even if he was fit. But I wonder if he's going to sneak in, given a chance in centre and at the rate we're going. But I think now, when you just look at the Aberdeen team sheet and you see the names of Ball and Shinny in the midfield, I think you I think just kind kind of know the way we're going to play. And I think the opposition does too, and I think we're becoming very, very, very predictable to play against. Well, the manager clearly
3: rec- recognised there was something wrong. He did make a change at half time, so the, the maligned Dominic Ball disappeared, and Stevie May came on. Um, now, Martin, I thought it was slightly brighter. Uh, when we came on for maybe five or ten minutes, but there was still a, a, a big lack of creativity. As McInnes says after the match, you know, there were a lot of culprits, you know, the only one he would give any pass marks to in the first half was Lewis Ferguson. It's all well and good recognising this kind of stuff after 45 minutes. We should surely be looking, coming out, looking out to see out games in the second half rather than requiring a response. Well, it was certainly one of the frustrations I had at the very
1: beginning when I saw the team winding Don Ball's name was in the team sheet, and it's not to be too derogatory to him, but maybe coming back to something Richard mentioned earlier, that's why um, I actually much prefer seeing Lewis Ferguson back in that position playing alongside Graeme Shinney. There might be concerns about whether that blunts his ability in relation to being involved further up the pitch, but for me he just looks like a natural centre midfielder, very much in that Ryan Jack role. The, the, The big issue with... Dominic Ball as well, as he can be that destructive defensive midfielder, he doesn't really have a lot more else to contribute, whereas that's exactly what Lewis does provide in the midfield I, w- I would agree with you Martin though, I mean, if the, if we were talking about it as if it was like a, 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 you know, a game of two halves, as the cliche goes, it certainly wasn't, we weren't a lot better in the beginning of the second half than we were in the first half and I think we were just fortuitous that I think it was our very first opportunity on goal ended up being a goal because frankly, even up to that point I didn't think we were, it might have been a slight improvement, but I think it was just compared to what we'd seen in the first half, it was just absolutely terrible.
3: At 68 minutes, it all changes. Bruce Anderson comes on, and then what, four or five minutes later, there's some good work on the left from McGinn. Anderson nicks a foot in front of the defender and flicks it in. Now, Richard, that was 100% deliberate, and there was no way that was a deflection, was it?
2: Oh, absolutely. It's, it's all about you know making something happen, doing something that the Opposition defenders and goalkeeper aren't necessarily expecting and uh, getting the rewards for that. But a little word to Stevie May, actually, whose involvement in that goal will go completely bypass. But he, he chased a long, you know, another sort of towering long ball into the corner. Did well hold it up and pull it back from again before McGinn has the. Uh, I presume it's a shot, actually. So <laughs> uh, that just shows you how the afternoon was going. Yeah, Bruce Anderson, providing that. Um, Moment in the penalty box That we just haven't really seen From other Aberdeen strikers James Wilson we're going to talk about later on In the show, Got a tremendous goal Against Hamilton on Wednesday But untouches in the opposition box I'm not sure, even against Hamilton In the game we completely dominated I'm not sure how many of those we had For any of our attacking players or, Or a striker When you consider how we did set up and play For many seasons under Derek McInnes When balls would be Firing in from either side and, and you'd have Rooney And you'd have, you'd have Kenny McLean And you'd have Graeme Shinney Trying to get on the end of them And stuff would happen In the opposition penalty box And for the last season and a half Really we've been struggling And searching for a different way To break through teams And break down teams But, but it, was, it was great to see Bruce do that And, and yeah absolutely natural Just um, what a striker does Very Rooney-esque frankly
1: if I could just say I actually quickly just checked the highlights of the sports scene before coming on here and yeah, one hundred percent deliberate. Um, and it was if you if if you if you get a chance to look back at it or you may have seen it, you may have you watched it four or five times already. Um, it's a hundred percent a shot from Niall Begin as well, but at least he's you know, he's doing what he does very well on the left hand side, cutting inside, looking to make an opportunity to, to shoot and, and make something happen and something has happened. As a result of it, but he's played at it with the outside of his right boot And it really is a deft little touch Just to take a bit of pace off the ball But also just to redirect it into the net And I was just wondering whether, again for you know, the, the three of you I, I, I actually think right now Bruce Anderson might be our most natural goal scorer slash attacker But I think the, the problem he's going to have is... <sighs> The way he plays doesn't necessarily fit in with the way that Derek McInnes will normally want to, to play because it you alluded to it in this post-match interview how one of the issues I think he still has with Bruce Anderson is he doesn't feel he's very good at being you know a, a, play, a player who would hold up possession and, and get other people involved, which if you're playing with one centre-forward means you're unlikely to be the person that's picked and, I wonder whether there's going to have to be a decision in relation to, you know, if you're going to try and accommodate him, do you then have to look at the way you play in order to to get, you know, say have two, two, two forwards up front in order to accommodate somebody? Because I don't think, I don't know if there's a lot of the other guys at the moment that are showing that kind of, you know, predatory instinct in the box, the way that, that Bruce is, he's kind of putting the senior heads to shame at the moment.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think... I think Anderson's going to be a victim of McInnes' incessant will to have one target man up top. It just frustrates the life out of me seeing Sam Crosgrove coming, playing ahead of Anderson or even McLennan. I mean, he's clearly never going to be good enough. He's just, nothing against the guy, but he's he just doesn't seem to have he doesn't have the ability, but he doesn't get in the positions either. He doesn't have the touch. I, I think I have a similar sympathy now with Stevie May. He's kind of He's, he's kind of being put into this position that Rooney was later on, that he's always getting shoved out in the wing, and everybody's to bring up, oh, he's not scoring any goals, he's hardly getting any chances, and he's not really getting the chance to, to show that up up front. I think it would be great to see Anderson and May as a front two. Having this one guy up front, it pretty much nails us down to doing one one way of playing. I think those two up front, and Richard's totally right, Anderson's just, he's just so similar to Rooney in just the way... He, even if he's on the pitch for five minutes, he always seems to be in the right place. And a lot of teams still won't know about him. Other defences will know about him. And I think if we were just persisting with this Wilson or Cosgrove as a focal point, I would love to see Anderson or May get a little bit of a run up top, possibly together.
2: The manager spent a lot of the season talking about James Wilson and how he feels that James Wilson is going to work best as a two and then proceeds to play him as a lone striker. Stevie May, quite clearly, does his best work as part of a two. Bruce Anderson looks like he's going to need that as well. Frankly, Sam Cosgrove also probably would do his best work as part of a two. McInnes's natural caution and natural desire to have that sort of three in the centre of the park, whether it be the, the ten, eight and the, the four. Sorry, hipsters, I'm not going to say six instead of a four. A four is a centre midfielder, six is a centre half. Bugger <laughs> off if you think otherwise. Um, <laughs> that natural desire, that natural caution to try and not lose the centre of the park is what's winning out right now for Derek McInnes. But the thing is, he's built a team of attackers who all are going to work best as part of a two. That's a conundrum he's going to have to, to fix. And I think ultimately, we've seen two up top a couple of times. I think he's going to have to go a bit more all-in with that uh, eventually because it, it turned the game around to a degree uh, today.
0: And the thing is as well, it's like we, we probably have the best centre-half partnership in the league. And it's not as if you can't rely on those our defence as this has been in the past where you could understand a bit of caution. We've got a damn solid goalkeeper and a very good defence. Gives um, all the more reason why that makes it even a little bit more frustrating. While we still have this cautious, stroke negative approach.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um, certainly going with a four four two or more traditional four four two, it's not necessarily a more attacking lineup than having one up front. By the way, I should stress that. That a four-two-three-one can be much more attack-minded than a four-four-two, but I think if your if you're wide players in that four-four-two for us are going to be McGinn and Guy McHale, Stephen, then they're huge threats as well. If you're going to do that and you're going to play Shinney in centre midfield, you, you need the other midfielder to be really, really solid at holding their position. And I look around the squad, and, and obviously it's early days with Lewis Ferguson, but I'm not I'm not sure. We've quite got that yet Certainly in terms of people who are performing uh, Again, this is maybe the the shape And the the hole in the squad That uh, Gleeson was going to be asked to
3: So we, got, so we get that goal um, At 1-1 I thought we looked a better side, Martin uh, McKenna and Devlin certainly looked a lot happier That Chris Boyd had gone off anyway Takes 73 minutes and finally we, look, we get that goal And we've really come into the game
1: Well, I think we've Experienced that you know, on, the, on the other side of those games where you're you're the team that's leading one nil, you're in the ascendancy. Frankly, if I had been a Kilmarnock fan, I'd have felt I'd have been I'd, I wouldn't have felt I'd been in any kind of danger whatsoever until we actually got the equaliser. But then, exactly as you say, the moment you go on one one, I think you're all already then thinking Poof, we're we're back we're back in this game from absolutely nowhere. We might actually be able to nick it. And I thought just the intent from the players as well just seemed to. I don't know if it just buoyed them up a little bit. I suppose it has been quite a, a tough week, given when you when when you think about the fact that um, that's three games in just inside a week. Because obviously the the, the, the game at Hamden were kicked off later on the Sunday, and I wonder if that you know just that that goal and something going in their way maybe just gave buoyed them and gave them the extra bit of energy just to go and finish a job. And and, and again, you, you kind of saw it in the Kilarnic players as well, that having absolutely dominated proceedings for so long. All of a sudden, all that hard work's gone, gone to waste. And I think their shoulders may be duped a little bit as well, thinking, you know, how has this happened to us?
2: I think it's exceptionally generous of uh, Martin there to suggest that we look the better team at 1-1. <laughs> um, <laughs> exceptionally <laughs> generous. But what I will say about Kilmarnock is for all the plaudits and all the praise coming Steve Clark's way. Is that they weren't that much better than us They struggled to do very much on the ball And partly, yeah, it was a solid enough defensive display From, from McKenna and Devlin again But uh, I didn't see much from them to suggest That they could have been that unhappy when we levelled Certainly they should be furious that they lost that game Yeah, of course, when you get it back to 1-1 You feel momentum is in your favour And that's such a big thing in football And then, yeah, it just needed one set piece opportunity, one good touch in the box like we got from Bruce Anderson for the first goal to, to then, you know, get you three points and uh, that is obviously what happened
0: And we were certainly helped by some absolutely criminal goalkeeping for that free kick I mean, Ferguson's really clever but McDonald pretty much shows him that corner and then pretty much goes and stands behind his wall There's no way, if my keeper lost a goal like that, I'd be absolutely furious But all credit to Ferguson he's picked his spot but I do not know what McDonald is doing.
1: Overall, David Priest, but I think um, they always say, with regards to goalkeepers, you need to rely upon your walls to do their job at the side that they are blocking, and you, you need to focus on saving the shot where the wall isn't, and that's exactly what he didn't do.
2: I'm just going to steal, basically, sports scene's analysis analysis of this, because we were quite clever. Lewis Ferguson basically doesn't place the ball until after the wall's been set up. We've got two Aberdeen players in that wall, Devon and May, blocking McDonald's view of the ball when it goes down. So, we're able to move it a couple of yards to the right, improve Lewis Ferguson's view of of that side, improve the opportunity... Obviously what McDonald's should then do is adjust as well, be strong enough to do that but it's smart thinking from us, it's obviously something we've worked on on the training ground and it's paid off but what I was delighted to see with uh, not just the goal on Saturday but also obviously stepping up last Sunday was that we have someone who... Come the big moments, isn't going to shy away. He, he took the free kick and he trusted on his technique and he was able to do that with a couple of minutes to go in a big game. Just like he was the one who had the desire and the, and the determination to get on the end of that uh, corner kick last Sunday. For all that uh, some of the departing players, uh, we have missed a lot of their talents. What you could say definitely lay at their door was a failure to perform on the big day it looks like Lewis, in Lewis Ferguson we've, when we're placing an awful lot on very young shoulders I'm aware of that but it looks like in him we've got someone who loves the big occasion and is tailor made for um, these big times and matches
3: Yeah and after the game uh, McInnes was was very critical that Bar Ferguson got the blame uh, for, the per- for the first half performance it, he kind of has to take some of the blame as well though Richard because He's the guy picking the team. I mean, at the half time on the BT Sport analysis, um, they spoke about it. And Kenny McLean very, very carefully picked his words when, when Sutton tried to get him to dig out the manager, which was a bit of a dirty trick. But you know, he, you know, some of the tactics in the first half were atrocious. Sutton quite rightly says to him, you know, Kenny McLean was in that dressing room you know, not, a, a, not a very long time ago. And he's right to say that comes from the manager. Surely McInnes reckon, must have recognised that after 10-15 minutes it was going wrong. Um, we'll get to 45 um, and it was still a shambles.
2: Even more worrying, I think, was that that was basically the Hearts game. Again, all over again. It was yeah. Don Ball played in centre mid- uh, started the, that game in centre midfield and got hauled off after 45 minutes because... It, it wasn't working, and it was the same again. Absolute same again. I, I hope he's smarter to realise that uh, that experiment. When you know we, we want to have a bit more of the ball, we want to try and be a bit more expressive ourselves. So that we're not just after someone to sit there and be destructive against an opposition. When we want to show what we've got. That. Don Ball isn't necessarily the answer. It's either his fault in terms of the 11 east bait, or if he's not got the person that is the answer in his squad, it's his fault in terms of squad recruitment. Now, clearly... Every team can be unlucky with suspensions and injuries. And up to this point in the season, we have been unlucky with injuries and we have been missing some players who would otherwise be playing. But Gleeson not started the last three games. Chris Forrester not even in the 18 last three games. In fact, not even in 19 today, as Dean Campbell was the one that was brought in last minute when Stephen Gleeson came off. I would be really disappointed if we went in on Friday night against Tibbs to see Don Bow in there yet again. I, I, I would rather see Dean Campbell get a shot and get his head, truly.
1: One of the unusual things about that was, I don't know if the three of you had a chance to hear, Derek who was being interviewed by Radio Scotland uh, before the game, and he was making a big play during then of the fact that it was the first time since the start of the season that he'd been able to have consistency of selection. and So he was, he was obviously talking about the cup semi-final at, uh, Hamden and then the Hamilton game. So it wasn't strictly true because uh, Andy Constant obviously started at left back in the first match and, and couldn't play against Hamilton. But other than that, it was straight. that in the one hand he was making a, uh, a big play of that, the, the fact that he was able to have that consistency of selection, but yet. For this game decided to make that One key change not just in terms Of personnel but in, in terms of the way That he was actually trying to set up to play against Kilmarnock and if the Intention had been by bringing Don Ball in and, and, and being I suppose more robust and set midfield and, and, and you know maybe Recognising the, the the challenge that Kilmarnock might have with, with Three in midfield um, It just didn't work In a spectacular fashion so you know the fact that he felt me change. I would have. I, would, I remember speaking to some guys after the Hamilton game and seeing exactly that. That you know, I hope that's the effectively you know injury notwithstanding the kind of eleven that we just you know persist with going forward unless there's a good reason otherwise. And the one change that McInnes has felt the need to do really actually impacted on us quite negatively, and I think that has to be his responsibility. So, fair, fair enough, we, we made the change at half-time, and, you know, we've, we've, we've ultimately ended up getting away with it. But, you know, how many times this season have we said we haven't really played particularly well, but we've managed to get a result out of it? We're still really waiting for that one good performance from Aberdeen, and although it's great to be able to come away from these matches with with the three points, it's, you know... It is a bit concerning that we still don't seem to really put together an entire 90 minutes of good, consistent football yet.
2: And it's not just this season. (laughs) Let's be clear, it was pretty much all last season as well. We did well, we picked up a good number of points last season. I think eventually we'll probably get there this season, even if we're still struggling to um, get the sort of fluency we would like to see on the pitch. We had some good wins last season. I kind of feel well. Maybe you know, last week after the the Rangers game, we had a really upbeat podcast, and that's partly because we had Graham uh, Graham Park on, and he was really really upbeat. And I probably wanted to go in a little bit harsher on the actual quality of the display. We didn't because I think the, I think rightly the mood was yes, we've done it, and I think everybody was elated last Sunday. And it, it feels maybe a bit we're going the, too far the other way today because it was a good three points, but. We can't be happy with the way that this team is currently playing and and gelling because it's just not coming together and and he's had a lot of time. And he's had a decent amount of money, so certainly compared to the opposition today. I know that's a point that Steve Clark made very early in one of his uh, post-match conferences, sort of doing the sort of thing you'd expect Derek McInnes to do after a defeat by Celtic. And whilst we're all delighted we got that late win, and especially delighted to ram up Chris Boyd's arse, it's, uh, <coughs> it's a real frustration.
0: And the thing as well is, am I right in saying we've only got two games before the cup finals, well, right, Hibbs and Motherwell? That's not a lot of time to kind of get ourselves sorted before a Celtic team who are smashing in goals left, right and centre that's, that's another thing that has me a little concerned
2: Listen, coming into these two games against Kilmarnock and Hibbs, it was a case of if we can win these two we're in a really good position so we've won the first one, by hook or by crook we've won the first one and we, we should be happy with that, We early in the season against Kilmarnock we were dealt a really shitty hand with that early red card I, I just want to reset the balance a little bit we're all upset that we're not very fluent, and we're not particularly good at the moment. But yeah, we all cheered that late goal. We were all delighted at it. And one thing you could never accuse McInnes Aberdeen teams of is lacking resilience. And I think that that did show today, at least. If it, it, and I think it's right to to at least balance out a lot of the criticism we're we're going to hit them with, with with some credit.
1: Yeah, I just want to jump in with one more bit of positivity for you, Richard, because I don't want you feel. Down at the rest of us. It's probably it's probably what you get for inviting a fanzine writer to come onto a podcast. But uh, um, the, the one bit of positivity I really took from that was that when you look back at this this afternoon's game, the two pieces of real quality that came from the team today came from two teenagers. And I'm really encouraged. It's, that's a criticism that myself and a lot of other fans have had was um, in previous seasons, McInnes not having the courage to go to the youth over kind of more seasoned professionals. And for me, you are talking about, you know, Chris Forrester not even being able to get into the 19. Um, but if you look at that from the positive aspect, I would much rather, if if, if it's the case, we don't, we don't see these guys in training, we don't know how things are going, but if, if Forrester isn't cutting it, then... I would much rather McInnes then decides... I'd much rather he takes Dean Campbell with him and puts him in the 18 rather than puts in a guy who... It would be the easy decision for him. He's the guy that's gone out and paid money to, to get him. So it would be the easy thing for him just to say, well, I'm going to stick with these guys even though they're not performing. But... What he has done, at least, is said, No, I don't think they're actually good enough to get into the match day squad at the moment, so I'm going to go to the, the, the Bruce Andersons, I'm going to go to the Lewis Fergusons, and if they come in the team and, and, and they put in a performance and demonstrate that they're worth being on the pitch, then, you know, that's all credit to them.
2: No, I absolutely agree with that. We give him criticism for signings like Forrester. The flip side of that is also you have to give him praise for the for the, not just the signing of Lewis Ferguson but being prepared to throw him in, just to have him start games right at the outset. He was starting against Burnley. He started most weeks when he's been available. And I'm not sure any of us really thought that he would be a first team regular when we signed him in the summer. Devlin's proved to be a really, really solid signing. for. So for all the, the signings we'll, we'll criticise him for, and there have been plenty down the years, that's his team now. He's made a lot of very, very sound signings And not always just the very obvious ones either Which we, we kind of knew would work out like your Graham Shin
3: Well, seeing as we're on a positive mode we'll, we'll go back a little bit further to Wednesday To what was a, bit, a much better performance Still not a fantastic one But but good nonetheless Against Hamilton at home Running out fairly comfortable winners in the end um, With, well, we'll say two, two good goals And one slightly fortuitous one, I suppose First one coming from Graham Shinnie after eight minutes, which I thought Richard was a really was really good. You know, it gets kind of trapped under his feet, and he manages to find just a, a pinpoint shot.
2: Yeah, it's a nicely worked uh, set piece, isn't it? Um, it's another one on those eyes. Uh, in the eye for those who are always screaming at corner kicks that get in a boxman! Because um, it's, uh, it's played out well to Sinead and he's in so much space that he's able to take what is a very bad touch actually and still get the shot away and, and find a corner. It's, it's a good finish. It, uh, we were kind of right behind it in the sixth stand and it, it finds the corner somehow uh, through a, a ruck of bodies. You're, you're right to say that gives us a very good start and from that point on I don't think anyone in the stadium was necessarily worried about the destination of the points. I thought Hamilton certainly were neater on the ball and more open than I have seen Hamilton teams in the past.
3: Grant, a couple of, couple of hairy moments, as Richard was alluding to there. Um, obviously McGowan hot the post when we're 1-0 up, and then there was a bit of confusion in the box between McKenna and Lewis when you're probably looking at, looking at your keeper just to just to give him a shout. But after that, you know, we get the second goal, which a fantastic goal really from James Wilson Finds that yard of space That I guess comes from a guy Who's came from the kind of coaching level he's came from And he just rasps one into the top corner
0: Yeah I mean obviously When you play teams like Hamilton The, the early goal makes such a difference I mean as Richard mentioned without, About the St Marins and the knees I'd probably put Hamilton with them I think we will have their own little mini league of three towards. About, I know they're about six points ahead at the moment But those games You've just got to break them down early And then the space will open up Because they do start Start aiming for a nil nil from the beginning. They have to come out a little bit, and I think you mentioned the the confusion at the back in the little moments. I think that just comes from a little bit of complacency when you play teams like Hamilton. Is we were a bit more open. We, I mean, I'm not exactly sure what Max law's instructions were, but you seemed to fancy playing centre forward a lot of the time. And I'm not sure Scott Wright was too happy about some of the defending he was having to do, but. Yeah, I don't know what to make of James Wilson. Quite yeah, I can see why Derek McKinnis he keeps saying he's excited about him because yeah, you're right. You can you can tell from just the way he carries himself, just from some of his movement for the goal against Motherwell, for the goal against Hamilton. But then as well, like Richard said earlier, it's other times you barely even notice he's playing. He's he seems like a really individual player, and he's not really going to be involved too much in in doing much chasing, doing much. And one thing that worries me about this kind of player Who's been on loan a lot is the fitness thing Whenever I see The team news I'm just expecting James Wilson To have a niggle or James Wilson to be a doubt It must Be hard for them if they've been out to loan Here, there, and everywhere to kind of feel settled And again It's difficult if you're trying to get a player up to Fitness but you're needing points or needing results To have the patience to do that But when you do see the goal against Motherwell and the goal against Hamilton you do see The ability clearly does does have How long it's going to take him to get right up to speed If he ever gets up to speed Need a few more games against maybe Hamilton Livingston Would help
2: Rather than in Hamilton bashing I want to, yeah, the Max Lowe point We haven't actually mentioned it before now But uh, I mean, people are really fixated on the fact That, oh, what Max Low can do going forward And he has looked good going forward But God, positionally, he has really, really struggled at left-back. It's not all just about what a left-back can do going forward. And again, this has been a, a constant mantra from a lot of people that you know we need a left-back that can offer more going forward. Yes and no. You need a left-back that can defend first and foremost. I mean, they're playing left-back, not left-wing-back. You need someone who's going to operate as solidly as part of a five. That's their first job. If they can offer stuff going forward, that's fantastic, that's great. And for a while, it was pretty imp- it's obviously quite important to how McIntyre wants to play the game, get the ball out wide, get your, uh, get your wingers into the game. And obviously, that's much easier for them to do if they're supported well by their full-backs. But yeah, the first job, Max, is to defend. Just a reminder. Yeah,
0: that, that's actually the, the thing I was kind of implying. was I, When I looked, was watching the game on the Hamilton game, I thought... There's no way that Max Lowe and Scott Wright could play against one of the better teams Because yeah, Lowe was just going absent so often And Scott Wright was really, really not comfortable in that position And that's why I kind of would be more inclined to have Constantine left-back and Scott Wright playing in midfield But then I can understand why he wouldn't play Lowe and Wright In the same team against a Kilmarnock or a Hibbs Because of that exact reason
2: yeah, and it was interesting as well for most of the second half anyway that uh, McGinn was playing that number 10 role much more centrally and it was actually good to see him on the ball more often and it, less the sort of driving number 10 that you might have expected from Scott Wright or Peter Pollitt in the past but, but someone who could drop a shoulder get by a man just, uh, and play the right ball at the right time um, and again obviously the opponents meant that he had generally speaking, more time in the ball than he would get against the Camaric or against the Hibs. But, but I thought that was an interesting variation, that maybe this thought to to move McGinn more centrally at times this season as well.
1: Is that something I could quickly pick up with the three of you? that it, It's an interesting point, because I was discussing that immediately after the Hamilton game, that it's been really encouraging to see Scott Wright being played more centrally this season, when it was probably the case he was probably seen as more of an out-and-out winger in previous seasons. And the... Analogy to Peter Pollitt is a quite a good one. I remember going to watch Pollitt getting, you know, being on the periphery of action, particularly in the Jamie Calderwood era, and he was persistently being put out on, being asked to go out and play wide. When I think to quite a number of people, it seemed obvious that a lot of his attributes, exactly we're saying, being able to, you know, take 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 a man and turn him, be di- be direct on and off the ball. Um, and once he was given that opportunity under McKenzie You know, there was a spell where he really flourished And I was wondering if, you know, between the three of you, you You maybe see that potentially as, you know Is that Scott Wright's future going forward Being that kind of more conventional, you know, second striker
0: You definitely do see the similarities between him and Paula. As you said, it wasn't really until after that loan spell in Johnston that he kind of came back And he had that confidence But you, you, you definitely see, right He, he does seem more comfortable when he's when he's able to drift inside, and he's exactly the kind of player that would give the defences a lot of problems in that position. The the thing is, is he going to get the chance to do that? It's as Richard said, he didn't do great against Rangers. I mean, it's fine. Is he going to be able to get the chance in that position? Maybe against the likes of Hamilton, against Dundee in home games. It took a long time for Paul to get the chance to actually be allowed to play like that in a more important game or in a tougher game. And I, th- I think his rights still got. Got to show he can do it a bit more regularly And of course he's just back from injury as well So uh, maybe give him that chance as well
2: I know we, we've talked before About not wanting to change our approach Based on the opposition But sometimes you've got to be smart about Who you're playing where And I guess a team who are going to employ A low block against you at home Maybe playing McGinn in the middle Actually makes a lot more sense And you can utilise Wright's pace and ability To actually go round the back Down the side of an opposition as opposed to trying to go at them directly, because it's very unlikely that you'll get that sort of space that uh, someone with uh, with his pace and attributes would be able to to um, operate successfully. And I'm so used to seeing Nowm again out wide that it was just, it was good to see him sort of patrolling in the middle of that park again, because he was really really successful, obviously, in his very first season here playing up top.
3: Of course, we rounded out the scoring with a third one, which no, we'll say it was fortuitous It was a good strike by uh, Mikey Devlin, uh, Martin But um, it probably does go down as a goalkeeping error <laughs> I
1: guess we're going to have to call this doing a McKenna from now on, yeah. aren't we? Um, he's, he's obviously in the opportunity um, for glory And The one thing, I mean uh, When you look at it, obviously the goalkeeper has made a terrible error um, But you've got to give him credit Devlin because that was actually it was a really good strike It's um, you know he's, he's, he's hit it from well it must be a good 30 yards and um, you know the fact that he's, he's hit it that well and you know it's one thing um, again I also set out the, the south stand but I remember um, going across last season to watch the Kilmarnock Cup quarter final game in the Scottish Cup at the at the, at the beach end and it's always a reminder of just how blustery it actually is at that end in the ground, and I think there was definitely an element of, of that for the goalkeeper where it's probably just the, the combination of uh, the way Devlin's hit it and maybe just a bit of movement in the wind has probably done it, but, oh, my goodness, I mean, it was, it was right in his hand, really, wasn't it? And it, he just just succeeded in clawing it into the back of his own net. I think the, the most frustrating thing for it is, uh, for, the, for the goalkeeper must have been Shea Logan's strike, which was even further out, I think, um, and that was actually getting right for the postage stamp and he managed to claw that one out so having done such a good job with that save and yet you know, letting a howler with a Devlin shot it just shows you how weird these things can be
2: I think the very worst thing about that goal coming is that uh, not only are we going to have idiots screaming at McKenna to shoot every time he's within 50 yards of the goal we're now going to get for Mickey Devlin as well so that's something that's really going to brighten up my afternoons at Bedouin
0: Because if Logan's had gone in, what would you have been like if that had (laughs) gone (laughs) in?
2: Well, if Logan's
3: had gone in, we would have been listening to six months of Fox outside the box and social media banter from him anyway. So we're at home at Hibs this coming Friday. Most importantly, Martin, this is a chance to make a big leap up the table. The right result puts us up into fourth place.
1: Absolutely. And, yeah, the league table's a bit deceiving this season because... Um, well, we've obviously not had as good a start in the season as we have in previous years, but 18 points from 11 games is still pretty good. And although we're just off the cusp of the the, the top six, we're right in that kind of group of teams, you know, around about between third and, and eighth, where whichever team kind of makes a move right now could, you know, really move up leaps and bounds in the table. Um, we we've traditionally done quite well in Friday night football games as well. Well, I think. Am I right in remembering it was a Friday night game where we beat Hibs one 0 and I think it was Willow Flood with another of these uh, yeah. wonder goals from about twenty five yards out. So hopefully we can carry that form in, in or well, or if we can carry Friday night football form, I don't know if I've had one of those games for months. But <laughs> but um, if we can if we can do that, that would be you know obviously a, a, a tremendous boost. And I think these are the games. It showed at the, the very end of last season was the first time that we really started, you know. Uh, Post-split do some real damage Against other uh, top six teams And that's where you know, when you were mentioning beforehand, it's absolutely right, you know, we'll, we'll be expected to beat the likes of Hamilton, St. Bernard and Dundee, you know, you'd expect all the other top six teams to do that as well, it's, it's going to be how we do against, you know, the teams around us, it's going to dictate where, where we end up finishing, and it's important to think as well, this is going to be the first season in a while that we're really going to have to compete with other teams to even get a European spot, you know, let, let alone kind of, you know, recovering back to where our second place is, so it's really important to win the games like this, and, 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 and at home as, as well, so Hopefully, we we go about that with the in, intent and purpose that we need.
2: Yeah, you're right to say that the the table is slightly misleading, uh, having us then in seventh. I mean, we win our game in hand; we'd be five points off the current league leaders. So, given the amount of praise and amount of credit that uh, they've been getting, we're not necessarily a million miles off the pace. And certainly, the amount of praise and amount of credit that Hibs are getting is almost unbelievable for for. The mediocre start that they've had If our start's been bad It's exactly the same as their start Plus we knocked them out of the League Cup In the quarterfinals. Yeah, they created more chances that night But you don't get any points for style, mate I'm sorry You don't get any points for goading opposition supporters If you did, Timbs would be miles clear at the top But Friday night should be a really good game You're going to come up against an opposition Who are actually going to come up here and attack And frankly, in seasons gone by That's maybe been the best way to try and overcome us. This season I'm not so sure, I think we are a bit more secure, I think we do have a, the makings of a half-decent centre-half partnership, so I think we're better equipped to deal with spells of opposition pressure and um, hopefully having a bit more space in uh, the opposition half will be a good thing for us. Said at the start of the week, come on it, came, you can win those two games, the situation looks a lot rosier and we're halfway there.
3: Well a lot to look forward to then Big game coming up on Friday night That's the, all we have for the podcast this week It's been a pleasure as always I want to thank Richard and Grant no, we, put, we managed to put the band back together For the first time under the new name It's a pleasure to have you both back Cheers man, thank you And what a thank you as well for sparing your time Martin um, It's been a pleasure having you on
1: oh, Thank you so much for having me Thank you
3: So yeah, Hibs on Friday night Hopefully three points for the Aberdeen Moving up the league Um, Lots to look forward to Hopefully lots to be positive about Come on you Reds